Well, what a joy it is to be with you again, and thank you so much. And uh, just excited that uh, all of you are here. I'm especially excited the little ones are here. And I'm going to do a song for them in just a moment. And we have some friends of ours, Robbie and Kelly, that are here tonight with us as well. And I want to thank the church for looking after us while we've been here, feeding us. And Brother Brian looking after us at the restaurant last night. And Brother John and Carla letting us have a place to stay. And I don't think it'd be too hard for my wife and I just to go ahead and move down here. That wouldn't be any problem for us at all. I can tell you that. We really love it here. And I always uh, enjoy being with you folks. And uh, thank you for all the kind words that have been said, the prayers that have been uh, lifted up on our behalf. We appreciate that. So I want to start out tonight and do a song for the little ones. So I'm going to focus over here. But you big ones can join in, too. Not, not that you're big, but you know what I'm saying. All right. So we're going to do a song. And this is called Zip It, Lock It, and Put It in Your Pocket. All right. Now, many of you have heard this and you've done this with me before. But I'll go over it for those that have never heard it. This is a song about the tongue. So it goes like this. You ready? Zip it. Lock it. Put it in your... You're supposed to be doing this with me, everybody. (laughs) Zip it. Lock it. Put it in your pocket. Watch the words you say. Your tongue, it is a tattletale and it gives your heart away. Then zip it. Lock it. Put it in your pocket. Count to 10 and pray. Control that tongue like you're pulling back on the reins of a horse. Control that tongue or you may have to eat the words you say. Do you think you got it? We need to run over it one more time. All right, just do the best you can. All right. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words won't hurt, they say. I must confess I disagree. I'll tell you why today. One day at school, a friend of mine was sad. I asked him why. A bully called him ugly names And I saw my buddy cry Ready, here we go Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket Watch the words you say Your tongue, it is a tattletale And it gives your heart away Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket Count to ten and pray Control that tongue or you may have to eat The words you say Now half of you just fell out on me already You hadn't had this much exercise in years, have you? Behind those ivory teeth, your tongue can cut just like a sword. Sometimes we hurt the ones we love, I wound them with our words. Amazing how a thing so small can cause such hurt and pain. I now know why my Bible says the tongue no man can tame. Here we go again. Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. Watch the words you say. Your tongue, it is a tattletale, and it gives your heart away. Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket, count to ten and pray. Control that tongue, or you may have to eat the words you say. The Lord hears every word we say as we work and play. Keep your heart clean every day. And read God's word and pray. All right, we're going to pick it up a little bit. Fast we go. Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. Watch the words you say. Your tongue, it is a tattletale, and it gives your heart away. Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. Count to ten and pray. Control that tongue, or you may have to eat the words you say. All right, some of you did good. You can give yourselves a hand. All right. Well, the verses that... uh, 
were read tonight in Psalm chapter 40. There was a time when I was in a pit. I was in the miry clay and I couldn't get out. I wanted to get out and I tried to get out. But every time I tried to do it my way, I just kept falling back in. But on March the 10th of 1998 in an apartment in Nashville, Tennessee, God pulled me out of that pit and set my feet upon a rock. That rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I once was lost in sin's dark valley, drowning in life's angry sea, going down, no one to help me, but Jesus' love has lifted me, though the storm around me rages, I'm holding to his nail-scarred hand, he brought me out of troubled water, set my feet on peaceful land, now I'm free from angry water. By faith I'm washed in Jesus' blood. I'll drink water clean and peaceful to close down from the throne of God. Though the storm around me rages, I'm holding to His nail-scarred hand. He brought me out. Troubled water set my feet on peaceful land. Set my feet on peaceful land. Well, I grew up in a little town in Aberdeen, North Carolina. It's right next to Pinehurst, North Carolina, where they have the U.S. Golf Open Tournament. And I grew up there as a little boy. And when I was about 13 years old, I came running through the house one day and my little mother was washing dishes. And when I say she was little, she was very little. She came up to about right here on me. We called her little Jimmy Dean, the dancing machine, because she liked to clog and stuff like that. And as I was running through the kitchen there, she said, Bruce, stop. I want to talk to you. And I said, OK, mom. I said, what do you want to talk to me about? And she said, Bruce, you're 13 years old and you know right from wrong, don't you, son? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I think it would be a good thing for you to join the church. And I said, "Okay, what do I need to do? And she said, well, she said, I want you to read this and then we'll talk about it. And she gave me a little gospel tract and it was about a 12 year old boy who had trusted Christ as his savior. I went in my bedroom. I read it. I got very emotional after I read it. I went back in the kitchen and I said, Mama, I think I'd like to do what this little boy did. And she said, "Okay, well, I'll call the pastor. The pastor of our church came by our house that night later on that evening. He and I went into the living room to talk, but I don't remember what we talked about because I cried the whole time I was in the room with the man. If he opened the Bible and showed me scripture, I don't remember him doing that. If I prayed a prayer from these lips to trust Christ as my savior that night, I don't remember doing that. They said that I did. And then the next Sunday when I went to church, I was way back in the back of the church and they had an invitation time. They called my name. I came forward, I got baptized, and I joined the church. And for years of my life, I thought that if I died, I would go to heaven because I prayed a prayer, got baptized, and joined the church. But prayer, baptism, and church membership didn't leave heaven and die on a cross. Jesus Christ did that. 
So for all those years, my trust was misplaced. Now, I don't blame my mother. I don't blame the preacher because salvation is from your heart to God's ear because only God can see your heart. But I was deceived into thinking I was saved when I was not saved. God had given me the talent to sing. And before I had a guitar, I used to take a stick and a string and put it around my neck and stand in front of my mirror, pretend there were thousands of people out there. And I would uh, bow to the mirror and say, thank you very much. You want to hear me do another song? And for hours I would do that. And then years later, that became a reality for me. No longer was I pretending I had a guitar around my neck and there were thousands of people out there screaming and yelling my name. I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. I put a band together. We got an independent record deal with Tone King Records. We were making a lot of money. We were filling the clubs up there in that area. And then anytime any of the top rock and roll and country bands would come through, we were the band that opened for them. And so all this was going on. We had just done our first CD. Everything was going great, but I was empty inside. And I thought the reason I was empty inside is because I didn't have a major record deal in Nashville, Tennessee. So I made a decision that I was going to leave everything that I had in North Carolina, moved to Nashville, Tennessee to pursue this dream that I'd had since I was a little boy. Now, I tried to get my band to go with me, but they didn't want to leave North Carolina. So I told them, I said, well, if you won't go with me, I guess I'll just go by myself. They said, Bruce, there's no way you would leave all this. We've got it made. And I said, well, we may have it made, but I want more than this. You see, I wanted a bus with my name on the side of it. I wanted everybody in the world to know who Bruce Fry is because all the focus was on myself. I don't care if anybody remembers my name anymore. I just want them to know Jesus now. But back then it was all about Bruce. And so I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and I was such a cocky rooster. I thought, well, I'll be here two or three months. I'll get a record deal. I'll be off and running. My career will be wide open. I was so cocky that didn't happen that all of a sudden those months turned into years. And 1990 turned into 1997. I knocked on every door. I played every club. I did everything humanly possible to get a record deal. And all of a sudden I'm broke. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. I'm wondering if I'm ever going to get a record deal. And then I started wondering what life was really all about, wondering if I was going the right way or not. And so what happened to me one day is I was playing a club downtown Nashville, Tennessee, and I walked off the stage and these two men approached me. And they said, Bruce, we've been watching you, not stalking you, but we've been watching you for a couple of weeks. We believe you have what it takes to get a record deal and we'd like to help you. And I said, well, I could sure use some help. And they said, well, the first thing you need to do, you need to record four songs. It's going to cost in the neighborhood of around $12,000 to do it. Now, earlier that day, I'd opened up my checkbook and I had $43 left in it. I was 43 years old. I was broke. I had started using my credit card to pay my bills. I was already thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. And I told them, I said, guys, I don't have that kind of money. And they said, we know you don't, but we do. And if you let us be your management company, we'll put this money behind you and help you get this deal. And so I made a deal with them that day. I said, you help me get a record deal. And as soon as I know I have one, then I'll sign any contract you want me to sign. But I'm not signing anything until I have a record deal. Is that okay? And they said, sure, that's okay. So we got all the musicians together. We were going to be recording at Studio B where Elvis Presley and all these country music stars recorded. I was so excited about it. And a week before we went in the studio, they called me on the phone. They said, Bruce, our lawyer said, if we don't get your name on a contract right now, we should back out of this deal. I said, well, that was not our deal. They said, well, that's the deal now. Take it or leave it. And I hung the phone up. I said, forget it. 
I called my producer and told him what had happened. And he said, well, do you want me to cancel everything? I said, no, sir, not yet. My little mother worked at a bank back in Aberdeen, North Carolina. And I called her on the phone. I said, Mama, I need to borrow $12,000 because I'm thinking if I don't get a record deal now, I'm never going to get one. I'm not getting any younger. I didn't tell my mom that I was already thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. And I borrowed this $12,000 on top of the debt that I was already in, went into the studio. And during that week, my producer really liked me a lot. And he said, Bruce, I know everybody in town. And as soon as we get through with this CD, I'm going to take it around to all the record labels and I'll share it with them. And I'll give you a call. And a week later, he called me on the phone. He said, Bruce, they like it. And they want to hear you do a showcase. Now, when you do a showcase, you have to rent a building, the lights, put the band together, cater it, give them free food and drinks and stuff like that. Every time I did a showcase like that, it would cost me several thousand dollars. And I'm thinking, where am I going to get the money to do that? I'd already sold my Harley Davidson motorcycle. I'd sold a bunch of music equipment. Of course, I'd borrowed this other money on top of the debt that I had. And the only thing that I had left that I could sell really quick was my comic book collection I'd had since I was a little boy. I had Spider-Man number one all the way to 300 and something. I had the Hulk number one through six when he's gray before he turned green. I mean, I had some old, old comic books and they were worth a lot of money. But I'm thinking comic books, record deal. And I wanted that record deal so bad. I sold my whole beloved comic book collection for $4,500. Several years ago, I found out that somebody got a million dollars for Spider-Man number one. I shouldn't have done this, but I went on the Internet and looked up and see how much that number one hook was worth. Forty nine thousand dollars. So I had to quit doing that because I thought I was going to shoot myself. You know, (laughs) but God was removing the idols of my heart out of my life. I had been dating a girl for five years. She and I broke up. I was doing a musical comedy show with a friend of mine and uh, Joan Rivers heard him. He took off with her. So I lost my best friend, my girlfriend, my motorcycle, my comic books. God was removing all these distractions out of my life. And so I did this big showcase. And when you do a showcase, you only have 30 minutes to try to win the hearts of these people. I sang, I entertained, I did the best I could. And when it was over, after the eat and meet greet situation there, I stood at the door. And as everybody walked out, I shook their hand. I thanked them for coming. And this is what they told me that night. They said, Bruce, you're a good singer. You're a good songwriter. You had good stage presence. We enjoyed your show, but you're just not what we're looking for right now. I am sorry. And it crushed me. I went back to my apartment later on that night when nobody was there and I fell on my knees beside my bed because I always believed in God. You know, the Bible says in James 2, 19, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. I believed in God in my head, but I had never trusted him in my heart. And that night on my knees, I didn't ask God to save me. I didn't ask for forgiveness. This is what I said. I said, God. I thought you gave me this talent so I could be rich and famous. If that's not it, I said, why am I here, God? What is my purpose for living? I really want to know. And I said, God, I have never been broke like this in my entire life. And looking at it on paper, I don't know if I could ever get out of debt. Could you help me with that? And that was my prayer to God. Cried myself to sleep. And I woke up the next day. I went to the store and I bought a Bible for $8. And I started reading the word of God. And the more I started reading the Bible... The more God started convicting me of the sin in my life. But instead of doing what the Bible says, uh, repentance toward God, faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd always done things my way. So I got out a pen and a piece of paper. And at the top, I said, I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop doing drugs. I'm going to stop partying. I'm going to quit doing all these bad things because I thought if I could just clean myself up that I could win favor with God. I could get my record deal, go to heaven and just live a wonderful life. 
But I was trying to work my way to God. And the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if I could have worked my way to heaven, I was such a cocky rooster. I'd have bragged about it when I got there. But guess what? I couldn't keep my list. Some days I'd cuss, some days I wouldn't, some days I'd drink, some days I wouldn't. My life was up and down like a yo-yo. I was just having a hard, hard time. Now I prayed and asked God to help me with my finances. And about a week later, I got a check in the mail from ASCAP Corporation. Now they collect your money if you're on radio or television. Back in the early 90s, uh, I was on the Matlock television show with Andy Griffith. And they paid me to do that show. I never expected another dime, but they used two of my songs on there. So I got a royalty check for $181.11, which doesn't sound like a lot of money when you're thousands of dollars in debt. But you know what it did for me? I said, there is a God. He did hear my prayer. He does care about me. And when I looked at that check, the check came from Denmark and Canada. I had done the Matlock television show in Wilmington, North Carolina. I said, this is weird. So I took my check down to the ASCAP Corporation. I showed it to the lady there. She looked at me and she said, Bruce, are you a member with us? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, are your songs copywritten? Are they published? Are they cataloged with us? I said, no, ma'am. She said, then we don't owe you a dime. I said, why did I get that check? She said, I have no idea. And in my heart that day, I thought God sent me that check. Then she punched some numbers in the computer and she said, oh, my goodness. She said, Bruce, there's a lot of money in here for you, but you can't touch it. I said, why not? She said, because you don't have your paperwork in order. So she helped me get everything in order. She said, look, I'm going to tell them your situation. We'll submit this. You're going to get some money. I just don't know how much. In January of 1998, three major things happened. The first one was this. I got a check in the mail from ASCAP. They went all the way back to the first time they aired that show and paid me up to that date. And it was for thousands of dollars. And usually if Bruce Fry had money in his pocket, whoo, life's a gas. Everything's great because I love money. You see, I wanted to be rich and famous. But all of a sudden, God had taken the love of money out of my heart. And I held that check up to heaven and I said, God, thank you. This is really going to help me. But why am I still so miserable, God? There's a gospel track back there on my table. Many of you have uh, picked some of these up. But there's a picture of Hank Williams Jr. And I'm the ugly woman on the right. My hair was down to here. I had the earrings and all the stuff I wore back in the day. And uh, I tell people I didn't have a hair problem. I had a heart problem. My heart got right, then my hair got right. Amen. And so uh, I... (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and tell you that story real quick while I'm thinking about it. I, when I met Hank that night, of course, he had everything I dreamed about since I was a kid. I mean, he had the record deal, the millions of dollars, the number one hit records. I was sitting at a club called Skull's Rainbow Club that night. And I, I wasn't there that night to sing because usually when I went into a bar in Nashville, I'd put my name on a piece of paper there. They'd call my name. I'd get up and sing, hoping somebody would hear me, give me a record deal. But that night I was having a little pity party, you know. So you have a pity party. You don't invite anybody. You just go by yourself, right? And so I'm, I'm there just sitting at the edge of the bar, kind of drowning in my misery. The house band's playing. And all of a sudden the door opened. And here comes this country music star, Hank Williams Jr., walking through the door. And my first thought was, how can I use him to get what I want? And so I jumped off the bar stool. I started heading towards him. And right as I was going by the bandstand, the leader of the band grabbed me by the arm and said, Bruce, will you get up here and sing so I can go hang out with old Hank? He's a friend of mine. And my first thought was, no, you need to do your job. Let me go hang out. (laughs) 
But they had let me sing there so much I felt obligated. So I grabbed the guitar, got on stage. He and Hank went and sat down. Now, the guys in the band said, well, Bruce, what song do you want to sing? And I said, well, I said, Hank's here. Let's do one of his. I said, but I don't like the way he does it. I said, I want to speed it up and kind of do it my style. And they said, he might not like that. And I said, well, if he don't like it, he can come tell me. 150 pounds soaking wet and full of Bruce. That was just me, you know. And so we did the song, did it way too fast. And the next thing I saw was Hank Williams Jr. standing in front of me, shaking his head, going, boys, that's way too fast. And the guys in the band said, we tried to tell him, Hank, he wouldn't listen to us. And I looked at him, I said, Hank, it's the way I do it. He said, well, let me show you how I do it. So he got on stage. We did the song over and then he, we did a few together. And he said, you don't mind if I sing one by myself, do you? I said, no. Nah. So I walked off the stage. When I walked off the stage, he started singing a song. And halfway through that song, he started crying so hard. He couldn't continue. He finally put his hands up in there and he said, I'm sorry, but I can't sing anymore. And I'm looking at him thinking, what's he crying about? He's rich. He's famous. He's got the number one hit records, the bus, everything I've dreamed about. And then it hit me. He's just as miserable as I am. He walked off the stage and put his arm around me. He said, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, boy? I had no idea what he's talking about it. I just lied to him because I wanted to use him to get what I wanted. And I said, oh, sure, Hank. And we went and sat down at the bar and I was trying to tell him about a song that I'd written about his daddy, hoping maybe he'd record it. But the whole time I sat there and talked with him, I watched the tears come down his face. And God didn't let me forget that. The second thing that happened, where this bar is, is called uh, Skull's Rainbow Club. And it's in Printer's Alley, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And the owner of this club was walking to work. On uh, January the 21st of 1998, 4.30 in the afternoon, broad daylight, and two men jumped him and robbed him and killed him. He was my friend. I'd been going in his club for seven years. I went to his funeral a few days later. It was a graveside funeral. And a Catholic priest was up there and he started saying things like this. Well, our friend was not a church going man. And he was not really a religious man, but he was a nice man. And he did a lot of good things for people. And he had such a good heart. I'm sure he's in a better place. But I had been reading the Bible where it says, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. And that doesn't mean you can't be nice to people or do good things. It means your goodness will never get you to God. That's why you need his goodness, his righteousness applied to your life. They kept talking about him having such a good heart. And I thought I had a good heart until I read Jeremiah 17, 9, where the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And it was at that funeral God was revealing to me personally, Bruce, you're not as good as you think you are and your heart is wicked. And so when it was all over, everybody got in a line, walked up to the casket. It was already in the ground and took a shovel full of dirt and threw it in the hole. I took my turn. And when I threw my shovel full of dirt down in that hole, there was a wave of fear that came over me like I've never felt in my life. And I wondered where my friend was and I wondered where I was going. And I went back to my apartment and I opened my Bible. I got my list out and I said, God, I'm not reading enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not keeping my list good enough because I was trying to do it all by myself. And that night, I called my brother Sammy on the phone. My brother Sammy got saved in Texas in 1970. Sweetwater, Texas. He said, I found the living water in Sweetwater. Amen. <laughs> he got saved in an apartment by himself there in Texas. And he had started praying for me and prayed for me for 21 years to be saved. 
Not only him, but his family, his church family, and everywhere he went around the country singing and preaching to young people, he would beg pastors and churches to pray for his brother Bruce. I had people praying for me all over the country and even out of the country, and I had no idea that was going on. How many of you right now have somebody that you've been praying for for a long, long time to be saved? Do you ever get discouraged? You ever wonder, God, are you ever going to save them? I've been praying for them for so long. You know, that's what my brother was feeling during that time. Because when I would come home from Nashville and he would see me, he would look at me and he'd say, God, he's the same old cocky rooster he's always been. Aren't you ever going to do anything in Bruce's life? But what Sammy didn't know is that God was doing something in my life. God was dealing with me about my sin. And this is a song that my brother wrote as he was praying for me. And as I sing this song, whoever you're praying for, don't give up on them. Just keep on praying. Someone has a daddy, and they love their daddy so. Time is steady passing, and daddy's getting old. Daddy, won't you listen? For the time is running out. It could be this very hour. Daddy, won't you listen now? Are you someone, someone's been praying for? Someone loves you enough to take the time to fall upon their knees. Praying, Father, won't you please find a way before too late for my daddy to believe? You may have a brother, and only God can know. The hours you spent praying for the brother you love so. And you may be that brother, thinking time is on your side. Your soul will be required of you who knows this very night. And you may have a daughter or a son that you love so. And they both have long forgotten the faith their mother sold. You may be that son or daughter and you wander far away. The time has come to now return and now before too late. Are you someone, someone's been praying for? And all these prayers were going up on my behalf. I had no idea all that was going on. Here I was trying to read my Bible trying to be good, trying to stop doing the things I'd been doing for such a long time. And my band members and I went to Wintergreen, Virginia every year. It was an annual event. We would get there on Tuesday, set our equipment up. We'd play Tuesday through Saturday. And my old lifestyle, I'm ashamed to tell you, is that we would uh, party all night and then sleep all day. And it was just a cycle that I was in during that time. But this week was different. My band members are doing the same old thing, but I'm in there reading the Bible, trying to keep my list and and doing all that, I had uh, talked to my brother, you know, on the phone that night. And so he had written me a letter. And that letter came in the mail. And at the top of it, he said this. He said, brother, he said, I want you to know that I love you. But I don't love you like God loves you. And he shared the gospel in that letter. And he put some little chick comic book tracks in there because he knew I was a comic book kid growing up. And they really helped me a lot trying to understand God's word. And so here I am 
trying to get through this week and I did really good all week long. And a friend of mine was getting married in Raleigh on Saturday. So I left Wintergreen, Virginia and drove three and a half hours to Raleigh, sang one song in his wedding, was packing up my guitar, getting ready to go back and do my last night with my band. And the preacher that performed that wedding walked up to me and he said, he said, Bruce, I sure enjoyed your singing today. Can I ask you a question, son? I said, yes, sir. What's that? He said, have you ever been saved, Bruce? Have you ever been born again? And I started crying. And I said, preacher, I thought I did that when I was a 13 year old boy, but I'm reading the Bible and I'm trying to keep this list. I'm doing the best I can, preacher. He said, Bruce, you can do the best you can and die and go to hell. He said, God sent his best for you. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I said, yeah, I've been hearing about that. He was a musician. God had saved and called to preach. And he shared his testimony with me, prayed for me. I drove back to Wintergreen. And when I got there, my band members gathered around me. They said, Bruce, you've been here with us all week and you're not partying with us. Don't you love us anymore? I said, yeah, I love you guys, but I'm trying to change my life. Did you hear what I said? I'm trying to change my life, but I couldn't change it. I told them, I said, to celebrate our last night, I'll have one drink with you, but don't ask me to have any more. And they said, okay. So I had one, which led to another, which led, next thing you know, I'm right back in the middle of the muck and mire I'm trying to get out of. And I woke up that Sunday morning so ashamed about what I'd done the night before. On my knees, I looked up to heaven and I said, God, I don't want to do this anymore, but I can't quit. God, please help me. My brother had invited me to come in here and preach that Sunday night. So I woke up all my band members, drove them back to Raleigh, dropped them off, then drove another hour to my brother's church. And when I got there, the church was packed. They were standing up singing a song because I got there late. And it's a lot longer, what we call a shotgun church in North Carolina, a lot longer than this building here. And so I slipped in the back hoping nobody would see me. My brother didn't know I was there. And he preached the word of God that night. And at the end of the service, he said, we're going to have an invitation. And if you're here and you're not sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. Why don't you step out of your seat, walk down here and we'll open the Bible and show you how you can be born again into God's family by putting your trust and faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial and resurrection for your salvation. Won't you come? I was back there in the back. My hair was hanging in my face. I was weeping. I was crying. I was shaking. And under my breath, I was saying this, Sammy, I can't do that. I'm Bruce Fry. I'm the hometown boy that went to Nashville to be a star. Everybody knows my name. I'm in the papers. And I was so full of pride that I couldn't move. And then he left the pulpit area and he walked down front like this and was begging people to come to Christ. And he realized nobody was coming forward. And he said, well, we've extended this invitation as long as I can. And he said, so I want to pray for you. If you're here and you're not sure heaven's your home, would you at least raise your hand and let me pray for you? My hand shot up in the back and all he saw was my hand. He said, I see your hand. I'm going to pray for your soul. Not knowing he was praying for his younger brother. From my brother's church to my mom and dad's house is about 15 miles. I cried the whole way. When I got out of the van and walked in the house, my little mama was washing dishes. She was always washing dishes. <laughs> and I walked in there and I was just weeping and sobbing. And she looked at me and she said, Bruce, are you okay, son? I said, no, mama. I'm not okay. She said, can I help you? And I said, I don't think so, Mom. I said, but you can do one thing for me, Mama. She said, what's that? I said, Mama, I've had a filthy mouth around you all these years. I'm so sorry about that. Will you forgive me for that, Mom? She said, oh, don't worry about that. I got used to it after a while. I said, Mama, you shouldn't have had to get used to hearing filth like that. You didn't teach me to talk like that. I'm begging you, Mama. Will you please forgive me? She said, okay, son, I forgive you. 
I went back into the bedroom where I grew up as a little boy and cried myself to sleep. Woke up the next day. I was getting ready to head back to Nashville. Sammy called me on the phone. He said, can I buy you some lunch before you leave? And I said, sure. So we met at this restaurant. We ordered our food. And by the time the food got there, I was crying so hard I couldn't eat. He was talking to me about the Lord again. I was under conviction. I was shaking. I was weeping. I was crying. I looked around. and I said, Sammy, I said, I feel like everybody's staring at me. I'm embarrassed. Can we just go outside? We went and sat down in his car and he opened the word of God. And he asked me this question. He said, Bruce, could you admit to God that you are a sinner? I said, yes, Sammy, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I know I've broken the laws of God. He said, that's right, because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said, Bruce, do you realize because you're a sinner that you deserve to go to hell? I said, I don't get that at all. I said, what are you talking about? He showed me Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That word wages means payment. That word death is not just physical death, but spiritual death, separation forever in a place called the lake of fire, totally separated from the presence of Almighty God. He said, Bruce, when you work a job and you get paid wages, you deserve those wages when you do the work, right? And I went, yes. He says, God says you deserve hell when you do the sin. And it clicked in my head. I said, well, I deserve hell then, brother. He said, that's right, Bruce. He said, you deserve hell. I deserve hell. If we all got what we deserve, we'd all be in hell right now. He said, but the verse doesn't end there, Bruce. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Even though you deserve hell, you don't have to go there because Jesus loved you so much that he left heaven and took your hell on the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God commended or demonstrated or showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then he showed me Romans 10, 9 and 10, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth. The Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then he showed me Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do you call on God? God, if you're up there, save me. No, the Bible says you call on him in repentance and faith. And repentance is very simple. It means you change your mind. Number one, you change your mind about yourself. You're not good enough to get to heaven on your own. You can't do good enough to get to heaven on your own. You change your mind about your sin and realize your sin is against the holy and righteous God. And then thirdly, you change your mind about your Savior and realize Jesus Christ is your only hope for heaven. Because he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And after he explained all this to me, I understood it. He said, Bruce, would you like to bow your head and heart right now in this car and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? And I said, no, Sammy, not right now. He said, okay. He put his hand on my shoulder and prayed for me. I drove back to Nashville. And a few days later, I had rented a movie. And this will tell my age, it was a VHS deal. I put it in the player. And I was getting ready to push play. And I looked up to heaven and I said, God, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't want to dishonor you in any way. But I don't want to think about you tonight. I don't want to think about the Bible I don't want to think about heaven or hell or none of that. I feel like my brain's on fire. I just want to watch this movie, have some popcorn and relax. I hope that's okay with you, God. And then I pushed play. And I watched this movie. And the main character in this movie was such a great guy. You just fell in love with his character. But at the end of the movie, he died. And when that movie stopped playing, I started crying. And out loud, I said this. If that had been a real person, he wouldn't be going to heaven. 
There was nothing in there about him trusting Christ as his savior. And I knew that's what I needed to do. 43 years old, I wept my way back to my bedroom. I fell on my knees beside my bed. And I don't remember everything I said that night. But the first thing I said was this, God, I don't understand it all. But I am so miserable. And I know I need you in my life. And God, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done that was displeasing to you. God, please forgive me. And I can't explain it to you, but I felt like the Atlas, man. It was like the world just rolled off my back. I didn't know what that was then, but I know now it's the peace of God which passeth all understanding. And I looked at my clock and it said 1230. And I reached over and I grabbed a pen and I wrote these words. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ at 1230 because I didn't want to ever forget it. And before I got off my knees, I said, God, from this day forward, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. You lead and I'll follow you the rest of my life. I crawled into the bed, still weeping and crying. And I looked up and I said, God, I hope I said all the right words to you. But I realize now it's not the words you say that save you, but the attitude of your heart as you pray. As a 13-year-old boy, if I prayed a prayer, it went from my head out of my mouth and never changed my life. But 43 years old, from my heart out of my mouth, it changed everything about my life. You know, you may be here tonight. Maybe you've prayed a prayer. Maybe you've been baptized. But you know something's missing in your life. I knew something was missing. And I found it that night. It was Jesus. Jesus Christ alone. You might not remember, even if you're here and you're saved, you might not remember the exact time or exact date like I do. But I hope you have a place that you can go back to in your mind and say, yes, this is where I met Jesus. And my life has never been the same since that day. I called my brother to let him know about the decision that I had made. And he said when he hung the phone up, he ran around his house and he screamed and he yelled and fell on his face and thanked God. And then he got up and took another lap. He, he said, I had a Baptocostal fit. Hallelujah. <laughs> And then he called me back on the phone. He said, Bruce, when are you coming back to North Carolina? I said, this weekend. I'm planning on coming back this weekend. He said, that'd be great. His wife, Sandra, and his children took me to a a steakhouse, bought me a steak dinner and a birthday cake to celebrate my born again birthday. And I was getting ready to blow the candle out. And I looked at my brother across the table and I said, Sammy, do you remember a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night and you preached a message and you gave an invitation, they extended the invitation, and then prayed for somebody who raised their hand in the back of church. Do you remember that night, brother? He said, Bruce, I'll never forget that night. I said, Sammy, that was me. That was your brother back there that raised his hand. He said, you got to be kidding me. And this is the first song that I wrote after I got saved. A young man, a bottle in his hand. Not too long ago. That was me Every night A Saturday night Dim motel lights Not too long ago That was me That was me Who had strayed Confused and afraid Counting all the costs That was me Kneeling by his bedside Tears flowing from his eyes Not too long ago That was me 
Jesus Christ led him in, forgiving all his sin. And not too long ago, that was me. That was me who had strayed, confused and afraid, counting all the cost. That was me. A friend approached and said, I heard you found the Lord. I replied, He wasn't lost. That was me. My Savior wasn't lost. That was me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.